let's go ahead and get started. I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at um, what's up here on the board, and then, and then we'll get started. So, um, Heavenly Father, we have one more book, um, and we pray that you would be with us as we study Revelation, just as you've shown yourself to be with us as we've looked through Genesis through Jude. Uh, thank you for the opportunity that we've had together to walk through, um, at, at this point, every book of the Bible, save one. And we pray that this would be a good conclusion, a good finale. Um, we pray that you would open up this very, in, in some ways, confusing book and help us to understand its importance, its relevance, uh, and what it teaches us about Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the most important question that you can ask about Revelation is when is it written? Because depending on when you think Revelation was written, what the date of the book is, that's going to determine almost everything about how you interpret it. Um, Revelation's dating is a a very tricky issue. It's It's a pretty complicated issue, but that's really what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, what is the date uh, on which John recorded this? And um, there's really two schools of thought. And, and again, depending on which place you land on, um, it's really going to determine how you understand what the book is about. Before we talk about the date of Revelation, though, uh, over here, you have your memory verse for the week. Do the Revelation 1, 17, and 18. I think that's the most important text in the entire book. So uh, here in a couple of days, we're going to go over Revelation 1 and, uh, and uh, the initial vision that John sees. Uh, so that'll be your memory verse for this week. And then you're reading tonight. All right. This is not like a do this on Thursday. This is do... Uh, by the time you come in tomorrow. Uh, There's a link uh, under April 24th through 28th that is uh, views on the millennium. And that's really what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. And so there's a few different schools of thought that we're going to talk about tomorrow. Uh, And so I want you to do that link so that you kind of know the terminology by the time you come in. Um, uh, If you need pronunciations for the words premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. All right. And I want you guys to basically come in and be ready for a quiz tomorrow where you can tell me what those what those mean. Okay, so um, go ahead and open to Revelation a little bit of a weird class period because we're not actually going to do very much in Revelation yet. There's like some preliminary uh, uh, content that you need before we can really read the book. Okay, Uh, and, and the content that we need today. Uh, is all about the dating of Revelation, this very controversial issue about when was this written. And again, um, you, you can't really read the book until you've kind of determined this, okay? Uh, because how you date Revelation determines everything of, about how you're going to interpret Revelation. Um, before we look at the date, though, I want to point out a phenomenon in this book that um, I, I'm just kind of interested to see what it does to you. Um, if I asked you the question, what is Revelation about? How would you answer that? Just based on what you know about the book, what you've heard about the book, what is Revelation about? What does end times mean? Okay, second coming of Christ. Grace says the end times, though, and 
Uh, whenever you hear people say Revelation is about the end times, what, what, what do they typically mean by that, or how do you typically understand that? Okay, events leading up to the second coming, right? Like, um, a lot of people will, will say, like, Revelation is kind of about the seven years right before Jesus returns or, or something along those lines, right? Like, very immediate events right before Christ returns is how Revelation is often understood. So, Revelation is written uh, in the first century, right? Uh, it's either written about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection or about 60 years after Jesus' re- resurrection. But, but it's written before 100, the year 100, all right? What year are we living in? 2023. So in that view that Gray just expressed, right, uh, Revelation, a lot of people are going to understand it as about the events immediately before Christ came back. Um, Revelation, the content in it, is past, present, or future for us. Future. The things in Revelation, according to that view, have not been fulfilled. They've not taken place yet in, in that understanding of Revelation, right? Um, and that's kind of the, the, probably the most popular understanding of Revelation. It's all unfulfilled prophecy uh, that we've not seen happen yet, and it's about the things immediately preceding the return of Christ. You guys are familiar with that understanding of Revelation, right? And if you ever watched the Left Behind movies... Or, or know what that good. I'm kind of glad. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's the understanding of Revelation that we have. Um, let me show you something at the beginning and ending of Revelation, though. And, and let's see how you guys respond to it. Um, Josh, read Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who bore witness to the word of God, to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. What is weird about the introduction to Revelation? They use words like soon and near. Yeah. So the popular understanding of Revelation is this was written before the year 100, And it's about things immediately preceding the return of Christ. And here we are in 2023. And has Christ returned yet? And on that popular understanding of Revelation then, have the things in Revelation happened? But John says that they're going to happen soon and that the time is near. And then 1900 years later, what? Okay. Okay. How does that strike you? Or what questions does it raise? What does soon mean? What does soon mean? (laughs) The time is near. Uh, Well, um, I don't know. Whenever you say something's going to happen soon or the time is near, uh, do you usually mean 1,900 years later? And someone will come in and say, well, 2 Peter says that to the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. But God typically speaks to us in a way that we can understand. He talks to us the way that we talk. That's what he shows in the scriptures, right? Like he, he comes down to our level and he uses metaphor and he uses analogy and he accommodates language to us. So if he says, um, you know, Jesus keeps saying throughout the gospels, my time is near. 
I'm about to be crucified. And what he means is like a week from now, right? And so it's a little bit odd to approach Revelation and Revelation keeps saying these things are going to happen soon. The time is near. And then we read it in such a way where none of these things have happened in the 1900 years of history between John and us. This is written by John, by the way. Um, and it's not just Revelation 1 that does this. The, the book bookends with statements like these. It makes them in chapter 1. And then if you look at Revelation 22, listen to this. Verse 6. And Jesus said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the, God's, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one what he has done. Verse 20, he who testifies to these, set, to these things says, surely I am coming soon. What do you notice? Beginning and end of Revelation. Soon, 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 soon. I would suggest, based on this, that the normal understanding of Revelation, that this was written before the year 100, and here we are in 2023, and they've still not happened yet. I would, I would suggest, based on this, that that understanding of Revelation is very deeply flawed. Because Revelation seems to be indicating that the things written in this book are going to happen close to John or far away from John. Close to John. John. Alright. Yes? How do you interpret like other translations saying quickly or swiftly instead of soon? Uh, the exact same way. These are the, th- the things that must happen quickly. Or swiftly. Like, I mean, it's still fast language. It's immediate language, right? Um, and, and so this is, um, this is something that I think is a phenomenon that a lot of people like to overlook and gloss over because it makes them uncomfortable. But I think this is actually a key for understanding the book. And we'll look at that as we go on. Okay, I mentioned at the beginning, what is the question that is most important as you're trying to understand Revelation? When was it written? When was it written? The dating of Revelation. There are two camps. Camp number one, Revelation is written roughly in 96 AD. Camp number two, Revelation is written between 66 and 69 AD. That second date, what strikes you about it? It's a bigger gap. A little bit of a bigger gap. Um, Still pretty, pretty close, though. Um, what would be really significant if Revelation was written in 66 through 70? the destruction of the temple? Yeah. 70, destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. By the way, has there been other New Testament prophecy that's centered on the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple? Yeah. All of it, this course, Matthew 24, also repeated in Mark and Luke. Where the disciples say, look how awesome the temple is. And then Jesus responds by saying, what? It's going to be absolutely wrecked. <laughs> right? Um, you've got that. You've got the, um, what was it in Second Thessalonians? The man of lawlessness, which we said, um, 
It's a tough text, but it would make some sense if that was Titus, right? Um, there is New Testament prophecy about this. Is this a really big event, by the way? Yeah. Massive event. Absolutely massive event, right? Um, the temple is destroyed. Uh, this is really a transition point in religious history, right? Um, it's, a, it's a massive event. Um, temple and Jerusalem are destroyed because the people of God did what? What was the sin that leads to the destruction of Jerusalem here? What happens 40 years before this? Yeah, they crucify the Lord of glory, right? They persecute the Son of God, and destruction of, temple, or destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem is the judgment that falls because of that. Really big event? Hey, you killed the Messiah. That's bad, right? Like, okay, so this is a massively important event, and so if Revelation is written in the 66 through 69 gap, Revelation might be partially, even largely, about what? The destruction of the temple. Yeah. Now, if this other view is correct, 96 AD is the time when John writes the Revelation. Um, can it be about the destruction of the temple? No. No. Because Revelation, right from the beginning, the text that Josh read, is about things that will soon take place, that will take place in the near future. All right? It's forward-looking. It's future-looking. If it's written here, it can't be about the destruction of the temple. And if it's written here, the things in Revelation probably have not been fulfilled yet. So this is a futuristic interpretation for us. right? We, we, we read Revelation, and for us, it's still stuff out there. If this is correct, uh, is Revelation futuristic for us? It was for John. But if this is correct... Um, we would say that Revelation is what? It's about things that are not futuristic, but... Historical. Historic. So these are kind of the two big camps whenever you approach Revelation. There are a lot of people, and this is the view that's more colloquial. This is the view that's more popular, that, that a lot of people just kind of naturally hold, right? Revelation was written in about 96... And it's about things that have not happened yet. So for us, it's still futuristic. So we need to read it as about future events that happen right before God comes back and judges the whole world. If you hold this view, though, you're probably going to read it, uh, Revelation, as being largely or even, even mostly about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70. And so for you, you live after 70. So you look back on this event, and so Revelation, surprisingly, is actually a book that for you is historic. You ever even heard that view before? Okay. So um, we want to talk about these two positions a little bit. There actually is a third position as well. Um, not about the dating. Uh, there's a third position that works no matter which date you take. And, and I'll, I'll talk about that um, maybe today, but probably not. Um, I want to talk a little bit about these dates and talk about how people sort of are, arrive at them. All right. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys, um, are there a lot of different understandings of Revelation? Oh, yeah. Yes. 
All right, we have two and a half weeks to get through it. So put yourself in my shoes for a minute. Can I do all of them? No. No. What I kind of am forced to do is this is a 22-chapter book that I want to go through pretty thoroughly. So what do I kind of have to do to teach it? I have to kind of pick a position and do what? Stick with it. Stick with it, right? Occasionally I'll say, no, other people understand it this way. But for the most part, I, I've taught this for three years. Because of the space and the time, I kind of have to pick one position and I have to go with it. Is that the only position? No. 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 Do you have to agree with that position? No. No. All right, you, you don't. You need to know it for tests, right? But because of limitations, like if I had an entire semester, we could, we could really dive into all of the different positions and interpretations. Because of, of, of time constraints, I kind of have to teach you what I think. You're free to disagree. Um, let, let's say you do disagree. Can this still be valuable for you? Yeah, you can learn what, what some other people think and how they approach Revelation. If you do agree, great, you're right. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, actually not. But, um, so, uh, <laughs> um, humility. All right. Um, so what I'm going to what I'm going to go ahead and do is I think it's probably helpful up front to just kind of give you my presuppositions about the book. I take an early date. I think it's largely about the destruction of the temple. OK. We're going to see that it's a little bit more complicated than that. All right. But this is this is the position that I'm, I'm really going um, to kind of like lead us through in the class. So. One day, you do some study on your own. You think, I think that's bonk. Grave, it's wrong. I'm over here. Well, at least you kind of have a thorough understanding of this view, right? And, and, and maybe it helps point some things out in the text that otherwise you would overlook. Um, so basically, what I'm going to do today is highlight why I think this position's right. Okay? You guys good with that? Questions before we get started? Yeah. Could there be any resources that we could use to study maybe other perspectives on Revelation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. Um, this is the more popular view today, so you just pick up a commentary on Revelation. Most people are going to assume that this is right, and I'll talk about why in a minute. I think it's a really weak argument, though. Um, so what I would basically say is, if you want this view, read literally anything that you can find on Revelation, and you'll probably get it. Okay. Um, in this view, there's going to be like some variants, of course, but, but we'll talk about that probably tomorrow some more. Um, this view, uh, a guy named R.C. Sproul, a guy named Kenneth Gentry would be the best resources. Okay. So um, I can give you a book list. I won't do that right now, but I can later. Um, I'll go home and look at what I got. Sophia's grandpa wrote a commentary on Revelation. Uh, Dennis Johnson, he's my assistant pastor. He, he takes more of a, this position. And I think it's a really good commentary. I just don't think that he's right on that point. So, um, anyways, um, so, so why, um, why the 66 through 69 view? Whenever you're dating any document, whether it's Bible, whether it's outside of the Bible, if you're doing historic stuff and you're dating a document, there are two types of data that you look for. And one is called internal data. And one, if it's not internal, it's what? External. External. So, um, internal data would be what the book itself tells you. 
So you're looking at the things that the book says, and then you're using context clues to try to figure out exactly when it was written. So uh, an example of this would be, um, uh, you know, if you're doing, uh, let's say that, that you're, you're, you've got a document, you don't know when it was written, but it uses a lot of these and thous. All right. Do people today still use thee and thou in, in language? Yeah, not really. Uh, that's more of like a 1600s thing. So if I'm reading something that has a lot of these and thous, I don't know when it was written. I'm going to think, you know, maybe it's somewhere around the 1600s. All right. Um, internal data would be stuff like that. Internal data might also be like if you had a document that dated itself um, to like the third year of George Washington's presidency. Well, well, then you have an internal piece of data inside the text that's telling you when it's written. Right. Sometimes you kind of have to be intuitive. Sometimes it's only implied. Sometimes it comes out and tells you. But but that's the sort of stuff that we're talking about. External data would be um, sources that talk about your source. So um, like, let's say that I had a document that didn't tell me when it was dated. But then I read a letter that someone wrote and was like, oh, yeah, that book came out in 1751. Well, now all of a sudden I have a date, but it's external. It's outside of the book itself that's, that's helping me date it. So whenever we are looking for dating of Revelation, we want to use both of these criteria. And notice that I put the internal on top of the external here. Um, what I would argue is that we want to listen to Revelation more than we listen to what other people say about Revelation on this. Right. Um, Revelation gives us context clues about when it was written. And I think that we want to give that our primary focus and attention. What Revelation says about itself is more important than what other people say about Revelation. Something that's really interesting is that this is the way that early daters typically do it. Late date, late daters usually favor external evidence. And they give that more of a voice than they give the internal evidence. So, okay, what is some of this stuff? Um, what would be a piece of internal evidence for the early date that we've already gone over? Yeah, all of the soon language, right? Um, which of these positions can better account for all of the soon language? Yeah. How do I spell language? Lang is there a U after the G? Yeah. yeah, this position can much easier, it, it does a much easier job of accounting for the soon language, right? Um, Jesus said these things will take place in the near future. Okay, uh, three and a half years, that's pretty quick compared to 1900 years, right? So we can better account for the soon language. Um, here's another one. Um, in chapters two and three of Revelation, John writes um, these short letters from Jesus to these seven churches that are spread out through Asia Minor. All right? Look at chapters two and three and tell me uh, these churches, some of them experience persecution. In chapters two and three, tell me who is persecuting the church in these letters. Look specifically at um, the church in Smyrna. Um, look at the church in, where's the other one? 
uh, Church of Philadelphia, Smyrna and Philadelphia specifically. Who's persecuting them? Jews. Yeah. Where do you see that, Josh? Verse 9 and 3 and verse... I lost it in chapter... Verse 9 and 2, actually. Will you read them to us? Read 2, 9 first. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, in parentheses, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Yeah. Synagogue language... Um, they say that they're Jews, they're saying they're the people of God, but they're not really. It's Jewish persecution in Smyrna, and then read the other one for us. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn what I they will learn that I have loved you. Yeah, I think that this is a really strong piece of internal evidence here. Um, the persecution that these churches are experiencing is not Roman. It's from the synagogues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why would that be difficult for the late day to account for? Hmm? Yeah, if we get to 96, if we take this late date for Revelation, Jerusalem's been destroyed. What is the relationship between Rome and the Jews at this point in history. It's bad, right? Um, after this 70 AD event, the Jewish people are on Rome's blacklist. Okay? So would they have the political power to persecute Christians at this point? Probably not. Plus, most of them are in exile in a city called Jambia. Oh, where's that? You can Google it. Here, though, would synagogues have, still have some power to persecute Christians? Yes. yes. So this is a piece of internal evidence that, again, I think is pointing to the early day. Um, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves and show you too many things about Revelation because I want to save them and make them surprising. But let me give you two more pieces of internal evidence. Um, chapter 11, somebody read chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Judgment is going to fall on what in those verses? The temple. Yeah, measuring out is always in the prophets, like... Um, Amos does this. He takes a plumb line and then measures out the city of Jerusalem. And it's kind of like he's making a bullseye for God's judgment to fall. And so here. Was it, who was it? The Persian king who was measured and found wanting? Yeah, um, Belshazzar. So um, the temple is measured out here. So it's the temple that's coming under judgment, which means that what has to be standing? The temple. Now, some people who take a futuristic view of Revelation say, well, one day there will be this third temple that's built and uh, the priest will come back and they'll offer animal sacrifices and all of that. And we've gone over that before. And what's problematic about that view? It wouldn't be a temple of God because there's one sacrifice that is pleasing to God and it's the sacrifice of 
Jesus. And, and this is why there are no other animal sacrifices. It would be a sacrilege for there to be. And so this is a piece of internal evidence that I think is really pointing to an early date and pointing to this being about Jerusalem. And then um, here's another one from verse 8. It's talking about the city that's coming under God's judgment. And it says in verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and called Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. What is the great city being called Sodom in Egypt? What is it really called? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Because where was the Lord crucified? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You see, again, this is really making sense over here, right? Um, what about verse 8, though? I'm confused about verse 8. What about it? Like, what, what does that point to the early dating view in verse 8? I see what you're saying in verse, in verse Well, in the early date view... The destruction that Revelation is warning against is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And in verse 11, the temple is still standing. And in verse 8, it's Jerusalem that is uh, coming under judgment because they crucified the Lord. Let me give you one more that we'll come back to because I'll be nice. Um, Any of you guys heard of this? figure later in um, Revelation called the prostitute. Sometimes she's called the whore. Um, And she's usually associated with which nation? The whore of, you know, Babylon. Babylon. Um, Here's what she's dressed as. 17. Um, It says in verse three that he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And the beast had seven heads and 10 horns. Um, um, In the ancient world, there was a city that was built on seven hills. You know what it is? Rome. Rome is famously built on seven hills. We're going to see that that... Um, hill language is also associated with the beast. Um, and so the, the seven hills stuff, or like the seven heads stuff, um, is it, pretty, horns are always kings too, so probably the ten Caesars is the reference there. So, so the beast is, is Rome. Um, but listen to what the woman is dressed up as. And then, and then we'll, we'll stop. Uh, by the way, verse 9 is where it does that. Um, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. So the, the beast is this like seven mountain thing. It, it's Rome. Um, the woman in verse four is arrayed in purple and scarlet. She's adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. She holds in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. On her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Um, You know the only figure in the entire Bible that wears um, scarlet and purple at the same time and is arrayed in gold and jewels all the time? The high priest. So the great prostitute is dressed up like a high priest. We're going to talk about the significance of that more. 
but it would make a lot of sense with the early view. The, the, the great whore of Babylon is the figure in chapters 18 and 19 that is finally comes under God's judgment and is destroyed. And so she's kind of the focal point of God's judgment throughout the book. And um, have you heard this imagery in the Old Testament? Israel is kind of like a woman who committed adultery by worshiping other idols. She was supposed to be a nation of priests that let the world know about the one true God, but instead she yoked herself to Bel and Ashtar. Like that's really common language, right? And so here the woman is dressed up like a high priest, but she comes under God's judgment because of her prostitution and immorality. So we'll talk about more of the internal evidence as we work through, but um, like all of this you can kind of see makes a lot of sense with this early date. Um, Let's talk about the external for a minute. Um, So let's see here. Let me pull this up so that we can look at it. Um, if we're talking about the external evidence for dating revelation, there's, there's one person that provides us with something meaningful and his name is Irenaeus of Leon. Um, Irenaeus is an early Christian. He lived in the year 130, died in 202. And, um, Irenaeus is interesting because he was a disciple of a fellow named Polycarp and Polycarp, we know from church history, um, knew the Apostle John. He was friends with him. So you kind of have this lineage here where you have John who wrote Revelation, and then John is big buddies with Polycarp, and then Polycarp kind of like discipled Irenaeus. And so you've got like this pretty close connection with John. In his book Against Heresies, Irenaeus writes about the book of Revelation And he's writing to people who have a lot of questions about Antichrist. And Irenaeus is trying to help them think through this this idea of Antichrist better. And he says in this section, We will not, however, incur the risk of pronouncing positively as to the name of Antichrist. Basically, what Irenaeus says is, um, stop trying to get, stop stop trying to figure it all out. You don't need to know who, who, who Antichrist is, right? He goes on and says, For if it were necessary that Antichrist's name should be distinctly revealed in this present time, it would have been announced by him who beheld the apocalyptic vision. So basically, what Irenaeus is saying is, um, number one, you don't need to know who Antichrist um, is. And then he says, the reason you don't need to is because if it was important, he who beheld the apocalyptic vision would have told it to us. Who is that? John. John. Yeah, John would have said. And he didn't say. So don't worry about it. And then, um, this is the phrase that is pretty meaningful. For, for that was seen no very long time since, but almost in our day, towards the end of the Midian's reign. So this is the the dating part that's really important. That was seen, all right, and and most people say that the that right there references back to the apocalyptic vision. So the apocalyptic vision was seen not a very long time ago, but almost in our day towards the end of Domitian's reign. End of Domitian's reign is right around 96. So it seems like he's saying John saw the vision in 
around 96 under Domitian. And um, that is the external evidence that a lot of people just kind of cling to and say, well, the vision was seen under Domitian, so Revelation was written under Domitian. It can't be about the destruction of Jerusalem. It's about something in the future. Um, these are comments that I pulled from an essay by Kenneth Gentry where he says, not so fast. Um, you guys have taken, um, well, that doesn't actually really help. Um, in Greek, a lot of times what you do to, uh, like, okay, basically this. The, the word that was seen in Greek is one word, and it's a verb, not a noun. You guys know that in, like, Spanish, um, you have to match noun endings with verb endings. So, like, make both of them masculine, both of them feminine, something like that. In Greek, um, sometimes you don't put the noun, and the noun is just implied by the verb. So, like, um, what is a Spanish, what's a masculine Spanish verb? Just give, just give me one. What does that mean? Tired. Tired. All right, so it ends with an O, not an A, so you know that it is a man or woman making the action. Man. So instead of saying he was tired, sometimes in Greek you just use the verb with that ending, and then and then it's just masculine. It's an implied masculine. Oh, we do that. Yeah, you can do that in Spanish too, right? So um, so in, in, in this phrase, this... Um, kind of noun right here, that is implied. It's not actually a word there. All right. All that is being, all that, all that is really said is the phrase uh, that was seen or it was seen um, is, is masculine. So reaching back into this last sentence, you ask the question, what is it being referred to? You could basically say that, right? It, It could be that or he, was seen. We just know that it's something masculine. Apocalyptic vision is also masculine. You know what else is masculine? Him who beheld. Yeah, him who beheld. All right. So um, basically what we're running into here is a lot of people just take it to be that and don't recognize that it could also be he. So basically there's two different meanings that that this sentence could have. The meaning could be... um, the apocalyptic vision was seen not a very long time ago in Domitian's reign. And then we're looking at a 96 AD. The other way that you could read this is who was not seen a very long time ago? John. Um, do you know where John writes this book? It was some island. It's an island called Patmos because he's thrown into exile. But we know from church history that John doesn't die in exile. He comes back and he ministers in the church of Ephesus. So what Irenaeus could be saying is he could be saying, John was seen not a very long time ago, but almost in our day towards the end of Domitian's reign. And if you needed to know who Antichrist was, guess what? He was right there. He could have told you. So this is something that could go either way. Could it mean that he saw the vision under Domitian and therefore the vision was in 96? It could. Could it also mean 
that John came back from exile around 96 and could have told you the things that you're curious about with Revelation, but he didn't because you're asking the wrong questions and it's not important. could also mean that. The unfortunate thing is most people only read English translations that say this, and then they assume, well, Irenaeus meant that the vision was in 96, and then they kind of ignore some of this stuff and say, well, Irenaeus says 96, we'll just listen to Irenaeus. But Irenaeus's language here is not clear what he's talking about. It's a really bad thing to base your entire reading of Revelation off of. On top of that as well, um, Gentry says, um, the context seems to determine Irenaeus refers to John, whom he believes to have lived almost to his own time. When Irenaeus says it would have been announced by him, it would most logically follow that this next statement should be translated, for he was seen no very long time since, but almost in our day. In other words, Irenaeus appears to be urging, if John, who wrote Revelation with its mysterious 666, had wanted us to know who 666 identified, he would have told us personally, for he lived a long time after writing it, almost in my own time. Um, another thing that Irenaeus says, which I think is a very big support of this state, is he talks about ancient copies of Revelation. Now, if he is saying Revelation was written almost in my own day, would he then say there's this ancient copy out there? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's saying here, on the reading, the apocalyptic vision was seen no very long time ago, but almost in our own day. It doesn't make sense that we would talk about ancient copies. Instead, um, it makes more sense to say John was seen not, very, uh, not a very long time ago, but almost in our day. But formerly, he had written these older copies of the book. So I think that actually really supports the early date. Another thing about Irenaeus is that he's just utterly unreliable whenever it comes to numbers because he says that Jesus ministered for 30 years and lived until he was 50. What? Is that right? No. 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 So that's the authority that we're going to bank the entire dating of Revelation on? I, sorry, I don't think so. Um, so I know that this is all kind of technical, but you, you hopefully kind of see... Some of the problems that this raises, you, you see some of the um, thought that has to go into this, and you see what a big deal this question is. Because if we take this date, what interpretation do we have to throw out? The, uh, the early day. Yeah, you, if you take the 96, it can't be about this, the destruction of Jerusalem. But if you take the early date, what is it almost certainly going to be about? The destruction of the temple. Right. So... For these reasons, I, I think, you know, Irenaeus says that there were these ancient copies. And I don't think that Irenaeus um, was saying that it was seen under Domitian's reign in 96. I think he said that that's when John returned from exile, right? And he could have answered all your questions if they were important questions, but he thought they were stupid questions. So ask better questions, right? Um, I think that that understanding makes a lot more sense. I think the internal evidence really points to an early date. And as we go through, I'll, I'll be able to explain that more as we kind of go passage by passage. I can show you why I think the um, early date becomes more and more compelling whenever we look at things like the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls. I think that there is a lot there that kind of lends support to that. Um, so need you to read that essay tonight 
And then um, tomorrow, we're going to kind of have two big topics. We're going to talk about reading strategies for Revelation. And then second of all, we're going to talk about views of the millennium, and I'm going to draw charts. Um, so we're going, we're going to do the whole chart business. I'm going to draw four charts of like kind of four broad ways that people understand what Revelation is getting at. Um, and then I'll tell you which chart we're kind of going to follow. Okay. So, all right, questions? I know that was all like super technical, but do you guys understand why we need to do a little bit of that? Eliza? Yes. Isaac? This is probably a really, really long question, but like, what's the third view? You mentioned we'll talk about that tomorrow with the reading strategies. We'll talk about futuristic, historic, and then the third one is called idealist. So we'll talk about the idealist strategy as well tomorrow. Idealist thinks that revelation is cyclical. So both of these views take it to be a linear thing. This will happen, this will happen, this will happen. The idealist view says revelation repeats itself in every generation. Um, I think he wrote against heresies in like the one... Actually, I bet I can find it. This is his dates, 130 to 202. I think Against Heresies is usually dated to like the 190s. I was just curious. Yeah, I was curious. Um, about the year 180. Okay. That's what the um, I, uh, AI is telling me. So AI is always reliable. What about you?